So Christmas comes early this year with a new Hawkeye trailer. All this and more on today's episode of the Geek Watch Podcast. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 124 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me, as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Patrick. Hello, Brian. So, we got a couple of trailers over the last couple of days, which I wanted to talk about. And, of course, we'll get into some What If and some Walking Dead. But first, let's talk about that Hawkeye trailer. Yes, it's our first Marvel Christmas special since Iron Man 3. <laughs> yes. And the next Christmas special we're going to get after this will be the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Oh, I didn't even know that was happening. Oh, did you not know I about this? I think so. Oh, yes. They are going to be doing a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which is a play off of the Star Wars holiday special. Excellent. Fighting the furries at 11. Exactly. I love the whole Christmas spirity idea. There was a lot of great stuff in the trailer. It didn't really tell you a whole lot about what was going on, which I love in a trailer. I hate when a trailer spoils too much. Right. Mm-hmm. When the trailer just gets you excited about what's coming, that to me is the best. Mm-hmm. I normally tend to avoid trailers. The teaser trailers I like, especially series trailers, when you start getting later on in the series, you get trailers that just give away too much, and mm-hmm. I hate that. But this one really got me excited. We got to see Kate Bishop, and we got a little bit of an idea of the story. Obviously, there are going to be some other elements to the story. Yelena is definitely going to be in mm-hmm. the series. We haven't seen her in the trailers. We may see her in the final trailer for the show. It certainly has us at this point, I would say, definitely excited about the camaraderie we're going to have between Clint and Kate, which mm-hmm. is going to be, yeah. I think it's going to be wonderful. And what did you get from it when uh, you were watching it? You know, same thing. It was like happy family uh, feeling going into it and all the while juggling everything that has happened up until now and trying to get back to normal. But we can't because, of course, because, of course, we can't. So uh, that's what made me really happy about it. And I love the fact that it's Christmassy and it's like our, our hallmark December coming up for Marvel fans, which makes me very excited. And the tech gadgets that they got going on, the, the new kind of arrows and mm-hmm. such, that, that's going to be neat. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Clint's always had the uh, gimmicky arrows. Mm-hmm. And getting to see Kate using one of them and, mm-hmm. and the exploding arrow and just freaking out, it's like, how is this yeah. the least dangerous arrow you have? <laughs> how is that even possible? Mm-hmm. So that's wonderful. Now, one thing that I noticed, and I've seen some other people refer to this also in reactions to the trailer, is in one of the scenes, it looks like Clinton Barton has like an earpiece in, like perhaps a hearing aid. Oh, good. Which, if you know anything about Clinton Barton in the comics, canonically, he's 80% deaf. Yes, I did know that. I'm familiar with the deaf community, and that was a very upsetting blow to the deaf community ever since 2012. Why don't we have our hero like we should have? And, you know, he should be speaking at ASL, he should have his hearing aid in, and so that was one of the big complaints from the deaf community. So hopefully, you know, Marvel might have remedied that. Yeah, they may be making him more canonical and addressing the fact that he is mostly deaf. So he would be considered hard of hearing. He would be hard of Mm -hmm. hearing. 
in Eternals, one of the characters in Eternals is deaf, mm-hmm. played by a deaf actress. Yes. So definitely we'll get some representation there for yeah. sure. Yeah, I did read a story about that. Whenever they do deaf musicals, the different cues that they have because they can't hear the music. So they have to cue them in different ways than a normal musical you would. So it might be a hand motion or something to cue a deaf actor. So that actress says her back was turned and so she wasn't getting her cue. So it was Angelina Jolie who suggested, why don't we use a laser pointer and then get rid of it in post? Yeah. And so not only are we getting representation, we're also getting innovation. Yeah. Adaptations that have been going on for years, and now we're going to get them also in the movie industry much better. Oh, yeah. Well, when you're in a situation that you pretty much perceive as normal, you tend to take for granted people have to deal with issues that you don't even think about because you you just don't think about it. Unless you're blind or hard of hearing or neurodiverse divergent or mm-hmm. you're in a wheelchair. For me, representation in a lot of ways is a great way of just reminding people that experiences are not homogenous. I think you and I were walking one day and commented on the, the bumps in the road mm-hmm. and that that was for the blind so that they knew they were at a crosswalk. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And most people don't even Mm -hmm. notice those things because they don't need them. But for people who are blind, they are literally lifesavers. And again, I'm hoping that they are going to lean in on Clint's deafness because I think that it'll give the story another dimension to it. Mm -hmm. Now, another trailer that I saw, I'd heard rumors about the movie. I hadn't really followed up on it because I didn't know what stages everything was in. But I saw a trailer last night for Nightmare Alley. I don't know what this is. Well, this is the new Guillermo del Toro film. Oh, okay. And it is a remake of a 1947 film starring Tyrone Power. It's a noir film, black and white. It takes place in a carnival sideshow, and you have a main character who is a mentalist, a magician, and a huckster who tricks people into believing that he can read minds. Not very sympathetic. He's reading minds and performing magic while he's basically picking their pockets and taking their money. All right. In 1947, Tyrone Power, he was known as a leading man, a romantic lead, and he begged the movie studio, Fox, to buy the rights to this novel because he wanted to star in it because he didn't want to be typecast. This character was so different than what he'd played before that this would be able to give him a depth as an actor and people could see him in other roles besides the ones that he was normally seen in these romantic leads and the truth was this movie bombed oh no when it first came out because people Uh. just could not see him Uh. as this shady character yeah Mm -hmm. and he did later on he was in a another movie called the razor's edge where he played a more nuanced character and was finally able to stretch himself as an actor. But this film, people were just not ready Mm -hmm. to see him in basically a villain role. So who in the Guillermo del Toro, who are we getting in that role? Bradley Cooper, I believe. Okay. So again, you have Bradley Cooper is mostly thought of as a kinder, gentler person, Mm -hmm. unless he plays Rocket Raccoon. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of Oscar bait roles that he takes on. And maybe I've seen him as like the family man Mm -hmm. sort of once. Yeah. Once in a while. I'm not going to say this movie is an Oscar bait film, but they're releasing it in December, so it's starting to look like that a little bit. 
But uh, I was a little leery about the film because even though the 1947 version of the film didn't do so well, after a couple of decades, when it was brought back out, it became a classic. It mm-hmm. is a perfect representation of the noir film. It's mm-hmm. probably one of the best noir films ever made. People later on learned to really appreciate it, and it oh, became yeah. mm-hmm. a, a beloved film. Anybody who's ever seen it, including myself, loved this mm-hmm. film. Do we really need a remake of it? I mean, there are a lot of films that have bombed and came back and were great films that you would never think to try to remake, like The Wizard of Oz. Of course, Guillermo del Toro, I'm a fan of his work, and I'm certainly going to be interested in seeing what he does with this film. I mean, it's got some great actors. we got Kate Blanchett. Willem Dafoe is in it. Okay. It's an interesting story. There is a little bit of that Oscar bait feeling Mm -hmm. to it, but they're really throwing this movie in December, and you've got these huge films in December that are coming out. I mean, we know he does well with that. The fantasy with Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. Any neo-noir film, I would trust him. I'm definitely willing to see what he's able to do with it. I'm okay with that, because really the ones that didn't do well, you know, sometimes they just need a second look if it could be remade and and revisited and reimagined. I didn't enjoy Red Dragon, but it made me go back and watch Manhunter, Mm -hmm. which I absolutely loved. Same story, but really enjoyed it so much more than I did Red Dragon. Yeah, and especially the classics that didn't get the life that they deserve could be revisited or maybe could get them to have this sort of cult following to allow the general public rather than just cinephiles to revisit it and realize how good they are. Yeah, these films are going to be good in their own way. The fact that what you can do in 2020, 2021 as compared to 1947, Mm -hmm. obviously there are worlds of difference. But I feel like the black and white older film is going to have its strengths on its own. And I don't think that the 2021 film is going to replace it. Mm-mm. It's going to be different. Yeah. When we always go back to The Fly and The Thing, mm-hmm. both classic and remake are great movies. Yeah, great in their own mm-hmm. way. And I think if the Del Toro film makes people revisit the 1947 version of the movie or even the 1946 novel, which it's based mm-hmm. off of, I think that's going to be great. Yeah, I think I'm definitely going to go, you know, check it out because... I can't remember if I've seen it, and if I did see it, I didn't realize what I was watching, because that's a lot of movies for me, you know. I watched them and had no idea what they were, and then click, oh yeah, I I know this. Before we get to television, there was one thing that I did see in the news that I wanted to talk to you about a little bit. I did want to talk about comments that Denny Villeneuve made in the last couple of days. Of course, he's the director of Dune. Oh, okay. And he made comments about Marvel movies. Oh. That they're horrible, terrible things that turn the viewers into zombies. Oh, why would you do that? Like, a good chunk of your actors are from the Marvel Universe. Why would you do that? Oh. Well. There's nothing wrong with mindless zombies. You know, there's a huge movie and TV industry about mindless zombies. Come on. Yeah, well. When I heard that, it didn't surprise me too much because I've noticed, especially in the last two or three years, that one of the initiation rites of the Serious Directors Club is that you trash Marvel films. Ugh. So that didn't that didn't really surprise me. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really bother me. And I'm sure he's going to catch some grief over it. But, you know, when you have this monolith right now that seems to be getting all the attention and all the budget and you're scrambling to try to get your films made, I just want to make the type of films I want to make. I don't Mm want to have to fit into this mold. I don't want to have to stand in the footprints of this titan that's tearing up the countryside. I want to be able to make 
the films I want to make, which, of course, Denny Villeneuve, as of right now, has been making those type of films, and I've enjoyed many of them. But this comment has made me think a little bit about Dune and some of the things that are worrying me. Because here's the thing, and this was something I don't think I talked about the last time, but his plan originally for Dune was to take the book and split it into two movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's his plan. Okay. The first movie is going to end right about the middle of the book. Okay. It'll have a bit of a conclusion, but in a sense, it's going to be... Well, I, I'm not sure, obviously, how he's going to do the film. I mean, I feel like he's going to wind up doing this as kind of a cliffhanger. By the end of the film, you're not going to feel as if you've come to the end of a, the story. Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings-like. Yeah, yeah. you're going you're gonna to have that feeling that there's more story to be told, and you're going to be eager to see where it goes. The movie's not going to feel complete. Mm-hmm. And his plan, of course, let's go ahead and shoot both part one and part two of the film at the same time, mm-hmm. which is a great idea because when you do that, you don't have to deal with scheduling, bringing actors back, especially these actors. It's not like uh, they don't have anything else to do. And so when you have them book the time needed to shoot both films, scheduling doesn't become an issue. You're not tearing down sets only to rebuild them when you're shooting the second movie. You have a continuity because once you have your actors in those roles, they don't have to get back into it again. You know, it's just easier for the actors to stay in the character and give you a more consistent performance throughout the two movies. And it's just cheaper. If you're shooting both the films simultaneously, it's not going to cost you nearly what it would cost you to shoot one film, tear everything down, and then try to start everything back up again from zero. So it was a very smart move to want to do it that way, to shoot both. But Warner Brothers said no. (laughs) They said, we're not going to shoot one and two. We're going to shoot one, and we're going to see what happens. (laughs) And that has me worried. Mm-hmm. because it just feels to me Warner Brothers does not have faith in this film. Ooh. Because if they did, obviously they would go for the cheaper option. Let's just go ahead and shoot both of these. Mm-hmm. But they're saying, we don't know how this is going to turn out. And so, yes, maybe if it's successful, it's going to cost us a little bit more in the uh, long run, but it would cost us a lot less if the first movie tanks and we decide not to do a second one. Then we're not stuck with a film that we're worried about releasing. And... That money we would have spent, we can put it somewhere else. I feel like that's mm-hmm. that's their motivation, and yeah. that worries the heck out of me. <laughs> Specifically because of the fact that, again, this is a Warner Brothers film. They're going to release it on HBO Max. So how is this film going to be able to be a big money maker for Warner Brothers? It's just not going to be able to do that. Most, I think most of the viewers are going to just sit home and watch it for free. And this, certainly, a film this majestic, this epic, needs to be seen on the big screen. I just don't believe people feel the same way about movies as I do in these situations. I think that they'll be willing to watch it if they want to watch it. It's not going to be as big a deal for them to want to watch this huge epic film on the big screen, especially with everything else going on. But if you don't really care about the big film experience, why are you going to go out and pay money to watch this film when you can sit at home and watch it for free? Yeah, enough people have big screen TVs now, yeah. so. And I do, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would prefer to see that film in IMAX, mm-hmm. 3D IMAX. That's how I would like to watch this film. I think I'm in the minority, and I feel like this movie's being set up to fail. Ooh. Unless they're going to be willing to change their mind and make Dune a theatrical-only release, what chance have they got? Especially if they're going to give the movie away for free, what's the point? What would be the point of going out? And I don't think we're going to get a part two. I don't think it's ever going to get filmed. I think that's a shame. And, of course, I was thinking a lot about that when Villeneuve talking about what he hates about Marvel films. 
And that's the other thing, too. I love his films. I love his directorial style. He can frame a scene that's just gorgeous. I love watching his films. But his films are very much like sushi. If you appreciate <laughs> that stuff, mm-hmm. it's awesome. If you are a connoisseur of good sushi, he makes the best. But the problem is, if you look at sushi and go, ooh, raw fish, which yeah. most people do, mm-hmm. that's going to be a problem. And that's the problem with a lot of his films. Acquired tastes. Well, they're beautiful films, gorgeous films, that don't tend to do well at the box office because they're not popcorn films. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that all films need to be popcorn films. And I can understand why he would be upset that it seems like Hollywood is geared to these Marvel superhero, shoot 'em up bang, bang, excitement, popcorn films, because that's just not the type of films that he makes. And now we have Dune, and it's a very expensive film. A lot of studios at this point are very skittish, and I think right now, Warner Brothers' business model doesn't help films. Mm-hmm. It killed Suicide Squad, and I think this might have been the DC Universe's one of their best films. Oh, wow, yeah. And I think it would have done gangbusters. Maybe not that billion-dollar movie that superhero movies hit the big B billion dollars of box office, but it might have if things were different. And this idea that you can release a film in theaters and also on a streaming service for no extra money. And now we're in the situation where HBO Max is giving away memberships for half price now. Because (laughs) a, a lot of people who were getting HBO Max through Amazon... Amazon stopped their uh, channel service. Oh, okay. HBO Max is now off of channels. And so everybody that had that subscription through channels, they're gone. Yeah. And so HBO Max is scrambling to get people back. Get some subscribers back. Yeah. yeah. So they're offering their memberships at 50% off, which doesn't matter to me because mm-hmm. I got AT&T, so mm-hmm. I'm getting it for free. So the business model with HBO Max, I think it's killing Warner Brothers films. Yeah. This could be the death knell for a part two of Dune, which is going to be a shame because if you've got this movie that's half finished because you're looking to do this in two parts and it's not like they can go back and give it an ending, it's probably killed this film. Everything I've seen in the trailer, I'm like, this looks like this would be good. But am I going to be interested in seeing some half-finished story? To be honest, even having the opportunity to see it for free at home, and I'm going to be tempted to see if, if they greenlight a part two. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to get into a story and it's not going to get finished. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I've got the book, so. <laughs> and that was the other thing, too, that I'm thinking is, well, you know, if I fall for that and other people fall for that, then we aren't going to get that part two. Because... If we don't go see this film, they're not going to make a part two. We get stuck in this, um, the tragedy of the comics. Honestly, what Warner Brothers needs to do is they need to look at the movies that are doing well in theaters now and realize, well, what do they have in common? Well, you have to go to the theater to watch them. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to eventually get to that place. And I know that's scary because Delta variant of COVID, a lot of this stuff is up in the air. But as long as they're giving their stuff away for free on HBO Max, they're never going to recover any of the budgets on any of the films that they've got coming out. There's no way to do it. They're going to have to do something. But I guess we'll see. And so, since questions are in the air... I am the Watcher. I am your guide through these vast new realities. Follow me and 
ponder the question. So, Mandy, are you happy now? Are you? <laughs> I am. Uh, you know, spoilers ahead. I am I am happy that we got so much more and we got a little bit Chadwick Boseman. So, even that little bit makes me very happy. I guess Eric was always destined to be a villain no matter what. I, I was hoping for a little bit of redemption, but I'm okay. You know, he's still a great character and I'm so happy to get some more of him. He still has some of the greatest lines in Marvel history. I love little baby Shuri. Oh, little like 12-year-old Shuri. Still smarter than everyone, you know. Oh, we got the queen fighting. We didn't get to see Angela Bassett really fight, uh, but now we got to see her in this, which is, you know, so, so happy. All the people that came back, uh, Andy Serkis and everyone, and so glad. I really enjoyed this. It was slightly heartbreaking. We had to watch Tony and T'Challa die again. But having them back for even the little bit still was happy enough. And now getting to see this hopeful future between Pepper and Shuri, they could just be the most BA team ever. And I would like that. But it was uh, it was so good. You know, as always, the fight scenes are fantastic. The story, the arcs, everything. I, I'm happy. I am happy. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, you've been talking for a while now about wanting to see <laughs> Killmonger again. Yes. And we knew from the trailer that we were going to get finally. that. We were mm-hmm. going to finally get that chance. Mm-hmm. I will say this: I was a little bit worried that we were going to get a major redemption for Killmonger because I didn't want that. Mm-hmm. And the reason I didn't want that is what makes Killmonger a great character and a great villain is the fact that you may not agree with what he's doing, mm-hmm. but you get why. Yes, uh-huh. he's and absolutely right. He's, you know? <laughs> he's not wrong. And the thing about it is a lot of that stuff isn't just going to go away because somebody made one or two choices. Mm-hmm. So an idea, I was worried that they were going to make him a hero and not really explain how he completely changed his mind about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. Nope. It's just mm-hmm. there was a little bit of a tweak where his plan was a little bit different. But again, he was motivated by the same things that Huge things that were going on, not just in his life personally, but in society in general. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, he's not going to change a great deal. Mm -mm. And at the beginning, kind of looked like he did. But the minute he pulled that ring out, I'm like, ah. (laughs) Yep. You know, and the fact he lied about the ring, he's like, Mm -hmm. you know, you see the stuff everywhere. No, this was his dad's ring. Yeah. And we know why he had it. Mm -hmm. And so you knew that that moment had still happened. Absolutely. He's still been a part of American society while hearing stories about Wakanda and never being a part of it. Yeah. And knowing that they could help and they just chose not to. Yeah. So, but he does, you know, when Rhodey says to change the system, you have to be in the system. So he did take that and he is a part of the Wakanda system now. You know, like everyone, he's got everyone on their side. He's going to have that kind of Jim Jones uh, mentality on Wakanda. In a sense, he did a very similar thing to what T'Challa did, which was he brought Wakanda out of the shadows and into the world stage. But he did it a different way, where mm-hmm. you know T'Challa was more uh, being an outreach and taking part to make things, you know, society change. Killmonger decided, no, we're going to war. We're going to immediately show the world that Wakanda is dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, we're not to be effed with. Yeah, and deal with the oppressor with extreme prejudice. Hit back and hit hard. Be ruthless so that you can protect the ones you care about. Yeah, and in the way that he was able to get Wakanda to declare war on the United States, and vice versa, 
He played both yeah. sides perfectly. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, you get to see just how smart Eric Killmonger is. And how long he has been planning this and yeah. how, yes. <laughs> how good he is at playing the game and understanding human psychology and how to make it work for him and get what he wants. And like you said, he was great. I mean, his lines were awesome. Mm-hmm. As much as you hated watching him kill Tony Stark, that moment when he says, the difference between you and me is you don't see the difference between, between you, you and me. me. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. That is a line. It's just like when he said, bury me in the ocean. and In the uh, movie, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, way to go, Michael B. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, wonderfully written. I know some people have complained that it's like, we didn't get a resolution. You know, there was a promise of a resolution, but we didn't get one. And I've seen little clips from trailers as much as I tried to avoid them. And I have been led to believe, and, you know, this wouldn't be the first time that Marvel has lied in a trailer. (laughs) But... I have a feeling that we're not done with that story either. There was this very brief scene, blink and you miss it, in a trailer that had the Dora Milaje being led by Sherry and Pepper. Yes! And oh, how awesome! So, we don't we get more. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to it. And I, I, what I love best about this story is it didn't completely flip Killmonger because I feel like that would have invalidated his arguments in the movie. If he had been raised different, you know, if that one choice had been that his uncle came and got him and brought him home. Now, and I could see maybe in a story if T'Chaka and T'Challa had been in the United States, you know, mm-hmm. and Killmonger, he was the prince. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I did have faith in the writers because they've been writing some really good episodes. I knew how thin a line this could be when you're doing alternate histories. And I think to have completely flipped Eric Killmonger and made him a complete hero, I think would have been a disservice to that character. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what a great episode. And we got three left now? Oh, wow. Yay. So we're getting toward the end, Mm -hmm. which, what do they do now? I mean, obviously, they're setting up for something Mm because there's all these rumors about an Adventures of the Multiverse. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely looking forward to it. So, one last thing to talk about, and then, of course, is The Walking Dead. And to remind everyone again, because I have AMC+, I'm a week ahead. Mm -hmm. So, we are going to talk about an episode that's coming out this Sunday officially. And again, like last time, I'm not going to go into any details. I'm just going to speak generally about the episode and some opinions that I have about it, which let me ask you, are you... you have... and, uh, I'm still, last thing I saw was Eugene coming out, <laughs> coming yeah. out of the office. That was still the last thing I saw. Yeah. You know, had rehearsal and Zoom meetings every night. And yes. so I have not... <laughs> yeah, you've been pretty much busy. I now, have not done my homework. Oh, well, I get that. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, of course, like I said, a lot of these episodes, really, you want to have caught the uh, mini episodes from last season because it'll help get you set up to understand some of the stuff that's going on now. We're getting away from the Reapers. We're getting back to what's going on in Alexandria, what's going on with Eugene, what's going on in the Commonwealth. The size of the Commonwealth has been verified on TV to be huge. I mean, massive, massive, the biggest, biggest. I I can say this, and it's not going to be that major of a spoiler, but there's 50,000 people in the Commonwealth. It's a city. What I find interesting about the episode, like I said, without going into any spoilers, without going into a whole lot of detail, I think the big thing that they were doing in this episode, especially with the fact that they were contrasting what's going on in Alexandria and how, in a real sense, how feral they've gotten. Alexandria. Yeah. Wow. In the Mm -hmm. fact that they are hardcore. 
mm-hmm. at this point as compared to the way things are in the Commonwealth. And this is a similar dichotomy as when we had a few scenes ago when Rick's crew, who'd been on the road for a while, wind up in Alexandria. And Alexandria had been cut off from the reality of how the world was. Mm-hmm. And so everything was nice and everybody, in a sense, the could... The kids were still going to school and... and they yes. were they could kind of pretend like things mm-hmm. hadn't really changed. And the Commonwealth is that times 10. Mm-hmm. There are definitely no real connection to what's going on outside. It feels very much like life's just gone on like normal, mm-hmm. especially now. I mean, obviously, they couldn't really plan this. It's not like years ago they could say, well, you know what's going to be great is when we get to this point, we're going to be in a world where people are going to be stuck in a situation that isn't normal, and we're going to be able to make comments about trying to have a normal life in a world that isn't normal. That's going to be so telling to people who have spent nearly two years in a quarantine dealing with a pandemic. It's going to be a great metaphor for all of that. I mean, obviously, you can't plan for it. We're kind of getting there. (laughs) And I think that's ultimately what the Commonwealth is going to represent because it's different than anything we've seen in the show before. Okay. And the problems with the Commonwealth is that the problems that they have in their society are the problems societies tend to have in general. Mm -hmm. Because societies, especially Western societies, there's this idea of democracy. There's this idea of everybody being equal. But in practicality, what we see is that some people are more equal than others. Yes, very Orwellian there. There's always going to be this situation where there are some people that have privileges that other people don't. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of discussions about people of the Commonwealth and the government of the Commonwealth and what is considered useful to society and what isn't. And this idea of being useful as compared to being happy and also being part of the group. From the beginning of human existence, what allowed us to survive was the fact that we gathered in tribes. Mm -hmm. And the worst thing that could possibly happen to you is to be driven away from the communal fires. Because unless you found somebody else willing to take you in, you died out there by yourself. It was, uh, I can't remember what scientist said it. What was the first sign of society, of civilization? They said finding a skeleton with a broken leg. Yeah. Because obviously they could not survive on their own. Someone had to take care of them. Right. So that was the first sign of civilization. Yes. The fact that you had a broken leg that had healed. Mm -hmm. And that meant that this person had been given time to heal. And that was definitely the strength of society. And civilization is that ability to have people support you and you be able to support them. And the Commonwealth is definitely a huge metaphor for this idea of what is considered valuable to the society as compared to what makes you happy. What is your place in a group society? How does your self-determination, how does it work with or against a society that basically has to look at you as a commodity? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not of any use to this community, what's the point of you? Mm-hmm. And Are you contributing? Yeah, do you contribute? And not just that you contribute, do you contribute in a way that is deemed valuable? Like I said, I don't want to go into a whole lot of details, but there are, there's some interesting things that are going on with that idea, and they're playing with that idea. Excellent. And then, of course, you have that dichotomy of the people who've spent pretty much the entirety of the zombie uprising behind safe walls. Mm-hmm. And while you're inside, it's very easy to forget what's going on outside. Oh, yeah. There are just some moments where you're like, holy crap, this feels like normal. But obviously it's not. And again, I feel like this is a very interesting metaphor to be playing with in the world that we're actually living in now, 
this idea of how normal can we make a situation that's obviously not and exploring that in this storyline i think is going to be interesting well, that's exciting i'm excited to see that yeah there's a horror movie on netflix right now called one br one bedroom mm-hmm. and it very much plays with that idea and it, there was also an anthology series a couple years ago called fear mm-hmm. and there was an episode that was the same thing there was a family applying to be a part of this community and if they were, became a part of this community and they contributed you you know, of course, everything would be great for them, but you can never leave. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's very, it's, it's very much playing on those. Uh, oh, yeah. It's best for the community. That's what will make you happy is if you contribute. Yeah. But they definitely spend this episode drawing the lines between life in Alexandria, the reality of what life is like outside of the walls and what it's been doing to people. But again, we also get this moment where we see uh, what's going on in the Commonwealth. We see that some of the problems with society have manifested themselves once again. And again, it's not like they're completely evil, or at least they haven't been manifested that way. But they're extremely practical, and sometimes, as they say, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. By the end of the episode, there are some questions about how things are going to go. You know, where do we take it from there? Because there's certainly a bunch of questions that get asked in this episode, uh, and answers hopefully will be forthwith. We'll see. And so with that said, we come to the end of episode 124. Thank you for listening and tune in next time for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch podcast. From Andy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher reminding all the geek watchers out there, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the GeekWatch podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The GeekWatch podcast is a Hanging J production.